The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, on this day of beauty, we worship you in your creation through Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and may the music and prayers of this service lead us to deeper knowledge of you and greater service of you and the beauty of the world in which you have created. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. In the first church I served, I was one of three clergy and a director of Christian education who were called essentially at the same time to follow the retirement of a beloved pastor who had served for 28 years. In the final years of his ministry, Dr. Earl Crawford had led the church to build one of the first retirement homes in the country along the lines of Goodwin House. And upon his retirement, he moved into the wing of the home that had been named in his honor. Contrary to the way the rules in the Presbyterian Church are now conducted, Dr. Crawford continued long after his retirement to conduct funerals of members whose family asked him to do so. And because of his popularity and length of service in the congregation, he was often asked... Over the course of the four years that I served there as an associate pastor, I heard him lead probably 20 to 25 funerals. At each funeral, he would read in the language of the King James Version of the Bible the passage that we have read in a more recent version today. Whenever I read or hear this passage, I hear Earl Crawford's voice I see his face, 
I catch his accent and cadence. This passage is ingrained into my heart and mind through his funeral orations. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know. And the way, ye know. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I once heard someone say, whenever I hear Dr. Crawford read that passage at a funeral, it almost makes me wish that I were the one who had died. (laughs) His language was that vaulting. His words were that beautiful. When I read this at the early service today, a woman sitting in the back pew was reciting the passage word by word. But the reality is this language did not belong to Earl Crawford. He did not compose it. He did not translate it. The language comes from the gospel writer we call John, whose identity is debated by scholars, but who was generally believed to be the last of the four gospel writers to write that we read. And the writer who most used his gift of language to convey to generations across time the words and deeds and teaching and destiny of Jesus Christ in the most sublime and vaulted language. You may recognize John's language from other parts of the gospel as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It is from John that we hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they they die, they will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. As I was typing these words into the Word document on my computer Friday afternoon, my cell phone alerted me to a news flash. I read the headline, Malware, described in leaked NSA documents, cripples computers worldwide. And then the article, 
Malicious software that blocks access to computers is spreading swiftly across the world, snarling critical systems in hospitals, telecommunications, and corporate offices. A far more extensive problem spreading across the Internet and unbounded by national borders. The thought occurred to me that the very words of the sermon I was composing on my Word document might vanish into Internet mischief. So I print a copy about every paragraph. But then I think the vaulted language of John will never be destroyed by technological foul play. His language lasts forever. So why is this vaulted language so important? It's important first because vaulted language has a certain secular value. The quality of a commonwealth, of a people, is enhanced by the quality of its speech. In the 18th century, reacting against the excesses of the French Revolution, Edmund Burke coined the phrase, the moral imagination. He defined the moral imagination as human aspiration towards right order in the soul and right order in the commonwealth. Burke saw in the power of language, literature, philosophy, biography, theology, even childhood fantasy, the capacity to quicken the moral imagination of human beings of all ages and cultures. Following his lead, a couple of centuries later, Russell Kirk wrote, The end of great books is ethical to teach us what it means to be genuinely human. Reading of great lives does something to help make decent lives. Burke pointed to imaginative and beautiful writers like the writer of the Gospel of John rather than to didactic or moralistic writers as having a greater influence on our moral imaginations and therefore on the character and quality of our civilization. The better the artist, Kirk said, the more subtle the preacher. Imaginative persuasion, not blunt exhortation, is the method of the literary champion of human norms. One of the truths that I've come to believe over the years is this. There is value in the language of the church its liturgies, its prayers, its hymns, its anthems, its sermons, being a little more exalted, a little more dense, perhaps even a little more mystical than the language of the street, the classroom, the soccer field, the family vacation. When we enter a sanctuary we are not necessarily meant to immediately to understand everything we see or hear, read or sing or recite. There is value in our hearts and minds being stretched upward 
rather than remaining flattened and aesthetically unchallenged. Vaulted language lifts our souls. On our recent trip to Israel, one of the members of the entourage was a Roman Catholic woman from Springfield. Now, on these trips, there is a tight timeline at each stop. And for security reasons, the group really does have to stay together. It often falls to those of us who lead the trip to be the enforcers. At one stop, we were at a beautiful Catholic church which was filled with worshipers and in which the Mass was being said in Arabic. Most members of the group had peeled off and returned to the bus, but the woman from Springfield remained behind in the pew. I tapped her on the shoulder. We really do need to go, I said. I would just like to stay through the reading of the gospel, she said. And I couldn't say no. So she and I stood along with hundreds of other worshipers as a lengthy passage from the gospel was read. It was, of course, in Arabic, which neither she nor I could understand. But it was beautiful. My friends, religious Language makes a contribution to civilization, to right order in the soul and right order in the commonwealth apart from and beyond the particular religious views of those using the language, creating the art, or standing in the presence of either. But at a deeper, more theological level, I focus on the religious language of John today because as John lifts our hearts or souls toward heaven, we come closer to believing than in any other form of language or discourse in which we engage. Let me illustrate, and you'll have to follow me here for a minute. In today's passage, John attributes to Jesus these words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a straightforward proposition. Across the centuries... Christians have lifted this verse, these two sentences, from its context. They have asked it to stand alone over here. And they have used it to argue such theological points as, in order to be saved, one must specifically believe in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus preaches and teaches is the only way for the human race to follow, the only ultimate truth for the human race to believe, and the only ultimate life for human beings to live. Now, as a Christian and as a Presbyterian, I believe 
that what we know of Jesus Christ embodies what we know of God. And I believe that whatever grace and salvation God chooses to bestow upon human beings in any culture, in any time, in any place, is in fact given through Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's even given retroactively in a way that transcends our understanding of time. And perhaps it is given in a way that is larger than our ability to intellectually understand or describe. But I also believe that to use these two propositional sentences in a way that they become a specific confession of faith that an individual must make or in a way that they describe a specific experience of conversion an individual must have in order to be saved, in order to receive the grace of God, actually lessens, diminishes, and in fact can violate the beauty and the power of the way John's language about Jesus Christ actually can lift our souls into Christ's presence and can lead us to belief. In a context in which the disciples are confused and fearful about Christ's leaving, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Christ is saying with calm reassurance, you have seen the Father because you have seen me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is using these two sentences to express an exalted reassurance not to issue a call to conversion or to a particular theological precision. In John, Jesus does not come to us as one who orates truth at us, but as one who bestrides earth and heaven and lifts us from one into the other. As my friend Patrick Wilson writes, Jesus' language in John does not exhort or explain, but exalts. And it is in that exalting, that being exalted by this language, that actually brings us closer to God. It is Christ's bestriding rather than orating which draws us into the realm of Father, Son, and Spirit. I want to close with another story from this trip. Our trip had 41 people about evenly divided between Christians and Jews. It was led by two rabbis and two ministers, which sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. 
with my wife Maggie and me being the two ministers. Maggie and I had long realized in looking at the itinerary that the hotel in which we were staying on the first Sunday of the trip was on the Sea of Galilee. And we would have the opportunity to lead a sunrise communion service together on the very shores in which Jesus called his first disciples. So we planned the service together, chose the hymns that we thought people could sing a cappella, put together a bulletin, had it printed in our office, made sure we secured bread and, yes, real wine, chose the spot on the beach, took a towel from our hotel and a beachside end table to make a chancel, set everything up, and were thrilled when most everyone from the trip joined us, Jews and Christians alike, for this service of communion. We conducted the service, read the liturgy, served the bread and wine to those who chose to partake, and then we began to clean up. And as ministers are wont to do, about 60 seconds after the service was over, we began to perform an autopsy. Do you think that hymn worked? You think people could hear us? I'm sorry I messed up that line. As we were cleaning up and analyzing our service, our friend, Rabbi Jack Moline, came up to us and said, Listen, you two. Did you not pay attention to the words you just sang? When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun. Then he said, the sun is rising. There are your knees. Get down on them and do it. So sure enough, we took the white towel off the communion table and spread it out near the water's edge. And the two of us got down on our knees facing the rising sun. It was the only time we have ever served communion together. And when we picked the towel up and brushed all the gray sand off of it, I could swear the sand was glowing, sparkling. In that elevated moment, in the presence of Christ, who was bestriding earth and heaven, we were closer to God than any oration either of us had ever delivered. And that worship service brought, at least momentarily, right order to our souls. And perhaps, in some small way, a bit of right order to our commonwealth. Amen.